Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is the honored first guest of We Heard About Pluto and my pal to boot. Please welcome Claire Cutler. How's it going, Claire? Hi, George. It's going great. It's awesome to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Absolutely. Truly psyched to talk about this one. But before we get into the movie, let's talk about your just overall history with horror. I am a big fan of horror. Uh, It is probably my favorite genre of movie. I am a sucker for a creature feature. I love a haunt. I know you're not a big haunted house guy. But I do love creature features. So yeah, you got me with that one at least. (laughs) You're not into the ghosts as much as I'm. I'm all about the ghosts and the haunted and the hauntings. Yeah, I've once ever since I was young been a big fan i turned a corner on i think the 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 first scary movie i watched in love was poltergeist but that one you know already done by some a way more (laughs) prestigious and knowledgeable guest than myself i'm sure yeah no it's uh it's it's always been a thing for me and it's just my go-to you know if, if, if jp and i are are bored on any given night one of us can suggest let's just watch some scary movies and we're both just in Hell yeah. You know, you listed a few in there. If you had to pick one favorite subgenre, are you able to name one? I gotta go with the creature feature. I love anything with a shark, crocodile, anything like that. <laughs> I Look, I love Lake Placid. It's that That is oh, my yeah. <laughs> that is my unpopular opinion. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna lead with it because, I mean, it's a big fuck off crocodile. I mean, what's sure. not to love? I, what's not to love? I'm all over it. So if it's, if it has a shark in it, I've seen it almost sure. guaranteed, no matter how bad it is, I have given it a try. <laughs> well, there's a new one coming out that looks just terrible, but it's got a shark. Gonna watch uh, it with Alicia Silverstone in theaters, maybe. I mean, who knows? Wow. <laughs> this, 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 it's, I'm, I'm, this is my brand. Wow. Hey, you got to maintain it. But the movie we're talking about today does not feature a shark. It does feature some creepy crawlies, though. Mm-hmm. We're talking about The Descent from 2006, a movie that looms large in my own horror history. As far as I can recall, this is the first horror movie that I made it all the way through as an active choice. Really? Yes. And it's pretty funny to me because this is still a pretty freaky movie. And so I accidentally set the bar super high, which probably helped me to get into horror because as I started exploring, it was just, oh, this isn't as bad as The Descent. And so you set the bar that high, everything just uh, uh, seems to be not quite getting there. And you say, oh, I can handle all this stuff. So this was your like, this was a formative horror experience for you. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad I picked it then. This is great because this was a formative horror experience for me, too. And it wasn't like my first horror, but it was the first horror movie where that made me realize that horror movies are about more than just what's what's at face value. It was the first one. I mean, like, it's not the most subtle, maybe. I mean, it might as well just be called The Descent Into Madness. <laughs> it's not, it's, it might as well have just, like, led with it. That's clearly what it's about. Um, but it's the first time where, like, that clicked for me. That, like, oh, it's a metaphor. Sure. And it changed the way that I watched horror movies forever. Wow. Big deal. It's also, I'm just going to, I don't have anywhere else to put this, so I'm just going to say it right away. It's got a great poster. Direct allusion to Dolly's skull illusion. It's just great. It really catches the eye. Very fun. It's cool. It's distinct. It is. It is cool. I mean, like, it's funny because I feel like the movie itself is pretty referential and the poster is referential too, but it's not doing it in a, it's, it's doing it in a way that is an homage rather than kind of ripping it off. Yeah, definitely. Directed by Neil Marshall, who also directed the 2002 movie Dog Soldiers. 
which people liked, and I, I watched that the other day. And, oh man, uh, how is it? I was read I was reading a little bit about the movie because to prepare for this, because you know I don't want to come here and seem like an idiot that doesn't know anything, <laughs> which is which I am. But you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to come off as more than that. Although I guess sure. I just well, uh, I just let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, well, you uh. know, I'm an oversharer. It's it's a problem. It's it's okay. You know, it feels very Spike TV. Oh, yeah. Well, then okay is a, is high praise. Yeah, Spike. it's it's kind of interesting. There are similarities and differences to this movie that feel very deliberate, you know? Well, so Dog Soldiers was a mild success, you know, people liked it, and he was offered a bunch of horror movies after it, but he said he didn't want to get pigeonholed as a horror guy. But the reaction to Dog Soldiers included a review that stuck in his craw where someone said, this is all very well, Brit's out there making horror movies, but when is a Brit going to make a really scary horror movie again? And he said... I felt like a gauntlet had been thrown down. I was set in my task to just create the scariest movie I possibly could. And so that's when he he moved to The Descent. I mean, mission accomplished. This movie, I mean, I watched it again today, so I wanted it fresh. Yeah. But when I watched it for the first time, I was 15 years old, and it scared the shit out of me. Yeah, it's scary. And still scary today. I will say one of the jump scares got me. (laughs) An unexpected one. Not mm. the not the jump scare, which we'll sure. get into later, but like it but one of them, like I I I it got me. They get you. They get mm-hmm. you a few times, you know. They they hit you and they don't telegraph it with like a huge sting either, which is nice. You know, it feels like a more earned jump scare. Absolutely, absolutely. This one's this one just came out of nowhere and it got me. <laughs> his initial concept actually, before he moved to the descent, I should say, was he wanted to do a feature of his college thesis film, which is gonna be a zombie movie on an oil rig, which I think sounds fun and has similarly confined quarters. So, you know, it could have been cool. But it was going to be way too expensive. And so he pivoted to this as a way to make <laughs> this something This was an inexpensive fun. movie, right? Because I was reading a little bit about it, and it was it was not a big budget movie. I mean, yeah. a lot of the budget was for that whitewater rafting <laughs> scene insurance, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like that he pivoted from zombies on an oil rig to late 20s women in a cave. I feel like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's quite the pivot. Yeah. Um, well, but I think it was a, much it was more, if he's going for scary, ultimately, I feel like much more scary as a concept mm, than zombies on an oil rig. Yeah. And yeah, he so th- this pivot to something pretty different from Dog Soldiers was, like I said, very deliberate. And I see them as fairly different, but there are similarities. Uh, most significantly, the difference is Dog Soldiers follows a group of realistically misogynistic male soldiers, and The Descent kills the only male character in just under four minutes, and then follows a group of women that he specifically consulted women about to make them sound and act more realistically. Yes, this is it's one of the things that I love the most about this movie is that all of the women feel like real women. They're all, even like the really shitty one, <laughs> they're all, but they're <laughs> like, they're all like strong, tough, resilient women. And they're, I think they're represented really well. I think that their friendship I think is is represented really well. I think in a lot of times in movies, uh, horror movies, really any genre, but horror movies in particular, like female friendships are fickle or, you know, fraught. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there is a very fraught relationship in this movie between two of the characters. But for the most part, I feel like there's Beth? there's 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 Beth a lot of a not. Yes. Uh huh. For real. But there's there's a lot of like not leaving each other behind, and mm-hmm. I feel like the relationships feel very real in a way sure. that that 
I, I, I think is, is good work and progressive Definitely. for its time, especially. Yeah. And I found this quote as well, where he talks about how one of these women who he consulted was actually Emma Cleesby from Dog Soldiers, who told him, women say what they feel, not what they think primarily, not as a rule, but think of it from that point of view, feeling versus just thinking. And he said, I thought that's really interesting. She also felt this is still part of the quote, though he didn't consciously intend this that the journey through the cave is representative of a female body, and each of the chambers is a different part. The stomach chamber, the lung chamber, and then the menstrual chamber with the blood. And you have all these white guys crawling around inside this body. And so he said, oh, you know, I didn't intend that, but that's interesting. Let's, how can we explore this and further develop this as a concept? Okay, see, I got the menstrual thing, and, like, there is the, like, birth canal thing in particular mm. with all, like, the squeezing through tight spaces. Yeah. Um, but I didn't get, I did not get the white men crawling through the body metaphor. That's, and it's not, he didn't, you're saying he didn't intend that? Right, not at first, not at first. But then when he started talking to people about making sure that the script was up to snuff, they were like, hey, I've like discovered this metaphor in here. And he was like, oh, yes, of course, the metaphor that yes, was in there was, all along. I thought that's the only thing you do when somebody reads something into you. They're like, it's brilliant, it's genius. You say, yes, I meant to do that. As a filmmaker, <laughs> I feel like that's, that's 101. Smart. It's really smart. You gotta. The white guys in question are the crawlers, they're called, and the credits and everything. Highly reminiscent of H.G. Wells' Morlocks from The Time Machine. And uh, they're cave people who never left the caves, and they, like, evolved to that environment, complete with family units. You know, it's feral, but it's also human, which he said makes it even scarier. And this was a deliberate choice as the creature makeup was developed. They said, no, it has to be still recognizable as human, which I think is a great decision. Yeah, I think that lends... I mean, I love that it's practical effects, too, and that it's just guys in costumes and makeup, and they're so scary. <laughs> they are, They are to this day, so scary the way they... the way, it, it was just well done the way that he shot them to give them that kind of staccato movement, but they are still humanoid. Yeah. I think that also, like, in terms of the metaphor, staying in the dark too long, what does that do? Like, were these once humans that became mm. these monsters because they were in the dark too long? Sure. What kind of monsters do we become if we're left in the dark too long? And I think that, that there's something to be said about that being part of the metaphor. Absolutely. Our non-creature cast is a six-woman ensemble. We have Shauna McDonald as Sarah, Natalie Mendoza as Juno, Alex Reed as Beth, Saskia Mulder as Rebecca, Mayanna Burring as Sam, and Nora Jane Noon as Holly. And they all feel developed in a way that they are distinct characters, which is not easy, especially for what is ostensibly a slasher by the end, or like like you said, a creature feature where people are getting picked off. For us to actually care about each of these characters, all six of them, as we go through these caves, really a remarkable achievement. In a 90-minute movie, yeah. They filmed on 21 different cave sets. They built these sets because filming in real caves would have been insanely expensive and dangerous. <laughs> So, makes sense. But it does, I think, look great, these built sets, especially enhanced by the cool use of color in the movie. You know, you get these white beams of light, but they're accented by really cool reds and greens as they start breaking out the glow sticks and flares as well. Creates this very alien feeling down there in the caves, these huge vaulted chambers and stalactites hanging down like the teeth and everything. It's just really cool looking. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely... They really create an uncomfortable feeling in the audience. Like you, yeah. you feel uncomfortable. You feel the claustrophobia of these caves. You feel the, the 
you feel trapped watching it. They really, they really evoke that. I think that they, they did a fantastic job with it. And yeah, the reds and greens and the green of the night vision on the camera too, that they use pretty heavily is, is, is another, another cool use of, of those greens that they have in the glow sticks. Kind of reminds me of uh, the very ending of wreck, you know, when, when you get the Mm -hmm. one little glimpse through it and it works. It does. Uh, It has a budget. Like you said, it wasn't a huge, uh, huge budget, three and a half million pounds, which accounting for both conversion and inflation is just about $7.6 million today was the budget. And it made $57 million, which is $81.4 million today. So just under 11 times its budget as a return. That's awesome. I did not realize it was that successful. I know that, you know, I was, I watched it the year it came out. I didn't watch it in theaters though. And I feel like, (laughs) I do feel like it, it did like pop up in an era where we weren't like the early aughts were not, it's not a great, that like 2000, 2010 is not a fantastic era for horror necessarily. Mm-hmm. There were some good ones in there, but I feel like the ones that were commercial successes were hit and miss. Sure. Especially, you know, a lot of them were kind of more studio endeavors as yeah. opposed to something like this, which definitely feels, you know, it is low budget and you can feel it, I think. It doesn't feel like this huge extravagant movie. It feels tight and confined and lean which is to its benefit. 100%. As far as the reception to the movie beyond the financial success, I thought that the, I was reading the New York Times review that came out then, and they editorialized in the ratings thing that said, uh, the film's extreme gore seems a nibble away from an NC-17 when they said that it's rated R. So they're like, it's really rated R, which is funny, but also kind of true you know it's there's some intense gore in this movie i mean it it doesn't shy away from it yeah but it doesn't but it's not gratuitous i feel like the amount of gore like it's not torture porn again it's trying to make you uncomfortable not disgusted sure i think also it's partially just because it is used so feels like weird to say tastefully but it's you know it is though yeah it's it's not throughout the entire movie which means that it's kind of a less is more thing where, you know, in a movie where that's the whole movie, it has to keep building and building and building. But here you get just a little bit of gore and it works really well because it comes out of nowhere and it is a surprise. So these scenes really uh, pack a punch, even though they are minimal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really just adds the the gore feels real. This is what mm. would happen. Like yeah. she she fell down, broke her leg, bones poking out. That's what happens when you fall like that and the impact like this and the reality is and is is that she's going to have to try and set this. And look, I don't know if that is really the reality. I'm not a doctor, but (laughs) I don't know if that's the case. Probably not. It's probably not like they probably don't want to poke the bone back in. I don't know. But it but it feels real. It doesn't feel like they're doing that to like it's Mm. not a it's not a big gross out moment. Yeah, it's it's more of just like a oh, my God, these women are going through so much. Yeah. And and it it it. It's always for it's always there for a reason, I guess. Definitely so. But it did get positive reviews with even old Raji Bert saying, This is the fresh, exciting summer movie I've been wanting for months or years, it seems. Even touched old Raj's heart. Old Raj, wow, coming in for us on the descent. <laughs> I don't agree with a lot of his takes, but I guess I can I can join hands even, with him on this one. Even a broken clock, as they say. Exactly. <laughs> To get into the actual movie, it opens up with three of our main characters, Sarah, Juno, and Beth, whitewater rafting and some pretty intense rapids. Uh, Two things that I want to point out. First, 
I think it's cool that right away they use sound to kind of reaffirm and then subvert typical horror gender norms. You know, you hear women screaming yes. right at the top. You get ready for this to be them being slaughtered to provide motivation or stakes or something. And then it turns into laughter and they're like, ah, we're having a nice time doing this thrill ride. So that's cool. Yeah, no, I noticed that as well. And it, it was a thing that I didn't notice. I noticed a lot of things the second time through that I didn't notice surprisingly when I was 15 years old. <laughs> oh, <imagine>. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were nuances even, who knew? <laughs> But yeah, it was it was it was a cool way to do it and kind of being like a manless hearing a woman scream and it being well this and but as you mentioned, the man is uh, in two scenes total and then <laughs> it's all about the ladies who are screaming and laughing and the yeah. having the the thrill seeking element just establishes right out of the gate who these women are and makes you interested in them. Definitely. And like you said, that is the actual cast members in those whitewater scenes and so they had to get approval from the film's executive producer on an insurance policy for a quarter of a million pounds. Amazing. It, and worth it. I mean, it's such a small scene, but it establishes so much right out of the gate. Definitely. And this scene was intended as an homage to Deliverance, as is Juno's sleeveless wetsuit later. And mm. the descent really shares a lot of its DNA with Deliverance, I think. Neil compared the two as, quote, we really wanted to ramp up the tension slowly, unlike all the American horror films you see now. They take it up to 11 in the first few minutes and then simply can't keep it up. We wanted to show all these terrible things in the cave. Dark, drowning, claustrophobia. Then when it can't get any worse, make it worse. That is, I mean, mission accomplished. Mission yes. accomplished. That's all I have to say. Like, that's exactly, and it, it is slow, and it's slower than I remember it being. I think I'm just used to that American pacing. But I was on first watch and on second watch wrapped for every single second, even though it was a slow build. Definitely. They make it through the rapids, no problem. They meet Sarah's daughter, Jessica, and her husband, Paul, at the disembarkation point. It's a little something-something between Paul and Juno, though. Mm-hmm. A very meaningful look. He, like, takes her <laughs> helmet off, and she eye-fucks him so hard. <laughs> there is no missing it. There is. It is clearly... They want you to know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I say there's no missing it, but I did miss it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were 15. <laughs> but yes, I watched a, I watched a clip of it afterwards and was like, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, the, the, they're they're clearly fucking. Mm-hmm. And he is distracted in the car because he's clearly torn up about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he drifts into oncoming traffic, getting speared in the face by some copper tubing, immediately killing both himself and their daughter. Oh, they final destination them. They final destination them really so hard. Oh, man. Just the worst. Just the worst, most traumatic version, too. It's not just like an... It's, it's speared by <laughs> copper pipes or something. It was just brutal. Yeah. It is brutal. I will say, supposedly, that can't happen. The copper will deform before it gets through the windshield. Well, that's a relief. I've been really stressed yeah. about it since I was 15. So I'll go ahead and check that off my list of anxieties. Great. I only got Great. a few hundred more in there, but that's one yeah. less. Yeah. Hey, with this with this movie, any any anxieties we can cross off the list is positive. Honestly, honestly, there's, there's a lot of things that feel like could happen to me. So it's good to know that that one, at least. Sarah does survive. She's the only one. And she has like a vision of her daughter blowing out the candles on a birthday cake. Notably, her birthday was coming up soon. But Sarah is just dreaming before she wakes up in a hospital. It's still all fucked up and surreal, though, as the lights around her like go out and she runs 
really cool transition back into reality when she crashes into her sister there. I think this is a really cool opening. Oh, is that her sister? I thought so. I think it's just, I thought it was just her best friend. Oh, was it? Are they sis- now, see, I thought, I thought the one who plays the sexy witch headmistress in Witcher was her little sister. Were they, were they, were... I thought it was a sister who doesn't come on the trip, just like a family member. Oh, okay. So see, I thought, see, I have a bit of face blindness. I've mm. been told this. John mm. has kind of a face genius thing going on, so it's very frustrating because I, <laughs> it, it's just like, I, I thought that was Beth in the she hospital. She has similar hair. She has similar hair Is to Beth. Is it just the hair? Maybe I'm wrong. It's possible that I just didn't clock it as Beth, but I think that it was a more related person like visiting her in the hospital and being like, sorry. That your family is dead. I'm going to go with you on this one. I just, I, I, I can't tell what women apart. What can I say? <laughs> well, hey, if you know for sure out there, sound off. Let me know. And then we get the title card. Nice little delay on that. Looks good. And, uh, you know, it does like the nice little like fade in with the light on uh, as it shines through. And then we're zooming through Appalachia. It's uh, one year later. Nice little aerial road shot. So nice, like a nice little opening. I, I like it a lot. Another little deliverance nod as well with the banjo on the radio, though it gets changed quickly as we see Sarah being driven out to the middle of nowhere uh, in a cabin by Beth, where she's greeted by Juno and the rest of the gang, who includes Sam, who's studying to be a doctor, Becca, who is Sam's sister, and Holly, who's new to the friend group by way of Juno. You have a bead on the relationships between these women in a way that I did not. I literally wrote down everybody's name and <laughs> and distinguishing characteristics so that I would be able to talk about them by name and not just kind of uh, dilute them to their main uh, uh, be like yeah the blonde one but not the main the other blonde one the one maybe has a drinking problem it's unclear I so I wrote down the names but I did not get the sisters hopefully hopefully we'll keep track of everyone but it is six people who are very active throughout the entire movie so you know sometimes uh hard to hard to keep track of the juggling <laughs> It's a lot of juggling. The cabin is creepy as hell to start with. Not only deer skulls hung up, but also like a scary jack-o'-lantern face cut out of metal. <laughs> I mean, I have you stayed at many cabins? They're all like that. Yeah, they That's are. That's just run like of that. the mill. It's scary. Yeah. Cabins are a scary place. You, you just go, you just look up Appalachia on Airbnb and you're going to see just cabins <laughs> like this left, right, and center. That exact metal cut out jack-o'-lantern. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <everyone>. Absolutely. <laughs> this was actually, culture. oh yeah. This was actually a practical location, but it only had one room. So every time Juno like had to like open up someone's door and be like, time to wake up, they had to completely redress the cabin to be <laughs> someone else's room. <laughs> I mean, I kind of love that. Yeah. That's called putting in the effort, folks. That's what it is. That's what it is. Putting in the effort and not the money. And it shows, you know, you really mm-hmm. feel it. Outside, Holly is being asked about the caverns they're going to. And I think her answer is so funny because she's like, that's not adventure. It's for tourists. Might as well have handrails and a fucking gift shop. And she says this because she saw it in a book. And it's just so funny to me how many people, like, you know, how many people form their opinions uh, without uh, actually experiencing the thing and then speak with such authority about it. Uh, it was just a very amusing moment, I thought, that really speaks to who that character is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they... they they make her the least likable from the outset. So you're like, you're kind of set up to be like, this is the first one who's going to die for sure. Mm. She's new. First of all, she's not part of the core group. And second of all, she's reckless and brash and abrasive Mm. in this way. (laughs) And a lot of this commentary that I'm going to have is me not knowing enough about spelunking 
<laughs> to speak on what I'm speaking on. But it does seem ludicrous that she's talking about a cave being touristy. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been to I've been to a touristy cave and like we went down in an elevator and like yeah. walked through with the guide. <laughs> so I don't I don't know. I don't know. That that to me is a touristy cave. She's uh she's just that cool. She's yeah. just that cool. <laughs> Not dangerous enough for her, but she is in luck. Mm. Yeah, she sure is. Sarah is still having nightmares about the accident and dreams about her own head getting speared before jolting awake. Very funny to me that they pull this spear through the face trick twice. They got us twice. They doubled down on it and it was good. Yeah, really made me laugh. But Juno wakes them all up bright and early for a 7 7 a.m. departure. I like that we get a little more characterization from each person as we see how they all react to this. I think it's a really cool kind of show-don't-tell moment. And the only one who's awake without being roused is Sarah, who is still looking rattled and taking anti-anxiety medication now. Yes, yes. We assume it's anti-anxiety or anti-psychotics, depending on, right. depending on what your take on the movie is. Or maybe she's a drug addict. I mean, who's to say, really? We don't know. I think sure. it's, probably, it's, it's probably some medication to help her with her anxiety, depression, what have you. Right. And there was a moment the night prior that I missed and then I saw in a I I looked up the alternate ending and Mm -hmm. in the video of the alternate ending this was touched on that the girls are outside and Sarah goes inside and she's like says something about better keep me safe or something out there and Juno says when have I ever let you down and one of the other girls goes up to her and says once and like walks off and I completely missed it when I watched it yeah but that's another because Josh talking to to JP about it and he was like well it seems like the other girls might know and I'm like well at least one of the other girls seemed to know because she gave a very significant once yeah I think Beth knew already Beth for sure knew yeah but this was one of the other ones I think it was Rebecca wow totally missed that what a a nice little touch Good job, JP. Still contributing. Love that. (laughs) He's in there playing Pokemon and wishing us well. (laughs) Sarah puts on a brave face, though, as she goes on to face the world. And they all take a group photo, which fades to black and white. Cool looking transition, but also kind of funny that it like becomes a true crime photo right there. I mean, it's it's it is such a dated technique, really. And but it's I loved it still. It was funny. Yeah, I liked it still, too. (laughs) That's like one of the like time capsule things where it's like harmless and ages the movie in a fun way for me. I completely agree. Holly is still griping about their plans. Borum more like boredom caves. That's a classic Georgism. Love it. I love it. I mean, I'm starting to get into Holly at this point. I'm like, all right, she's fun. She's funny. She's got the puns. She's she's bringing something to the team. I hope she doesn't die first at this point. Wow. That's how you know. That's all it takes. You got to get some good puns in there and you're, you're good to go with the group. But Sarah's playing fast and loose with driving safety on the on the dirt roads. Really, really just the first indication we have that she is a little unhinged and mm, not okay reckless. to be going on this trip right now. I mean, it's also, I think, the one year anniversary of the death of her mm-hmm. husband and daughter. Yeah. And this is, it's just, it's a, it's, it's an insane wild choice to be like well this is my time to come back out and go spelunking i would love to be underground (laughs) on this really traumatic anniversary that happened only one year ago perfect but you know more power to her and so she's (laughs) she is wanting to go off-roading yeah and And she does uh, it and 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 does yeah when they arrive at their destination, Juno deliberately stashes the caver's guide to Borum Caves in the glove box and leads them on a trek to the mouth of the cave, a beautiful, beautiful countryside besides the massacred deer. But, you know, besides that, lovely 
countryside that they were in. You say mouth of the cave. It is a sandworm style hole in the ground. <laughs> this is this is this, it's it is just a hole in the ground, which I mean, I yeah. guess is a cave mouth. I think of a cave mouth as like, you know, cartoonishly on the side of a mountain yeah. or cliff face. But this is just in the fact, Aladdin cave of wonders, like right. a tiger that opens up. That's exactly <laughs> literal it. mouth. But I guess it's between the cave and a cavern, maybe. Mm, I don't know. Be. But it is it is just a hole in the ground. And I had forgotten that it was not the right cave at this moment and was like, this is not a touristy cave. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is a hole in the ground. They gotcha. <laughs> Which you think the other experienced spelunkers might also be like i don't think this is the cavern we're meant to be at but i don't know well i guess they all trusted juno and more fools them well yes absolutely <laughs> i mean we learned that you know who else trusted juno sarah sarah mm-hmm Slept with her husband big rip big rip mm-hmm. yeah it's a scary looking hole too that they descend into but the actual shot with like the light filtering down next to juno as she descends is spectacular oh it's gorgeous it's gorgeous i feel like they i mean juno is stunning she's beautiful as much as she is horrible as a person (laughs) as a human being no but you know wood still because (laughs) problematic wood it's it's very problematic wood for me uh (laughs) her outfit with the sleeveless sure she's embodying 70s burt reynolds who was famously a sex pot how can you blame paul i think think it's that i think when a woman brings burt reynolds energy that's my achilles (laughs) heel and i never even knew it i never even knew it. it's the perfect venn diagram oh it is exactly that's that's where my bi identity just intersects right there the <laughs> nexus of all my of, of everything that i'm literally looking for sexually wow. figured but, it out <laughs> but yeah that, that scene is beautiful i think i feel like she is consistently in just insanely cool and beautiful lighting yeah throughout yeah it's really cool holly goes out of order and way too quick and you're just like oh she's gonna be trouble mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in case you didn't get it already holly <laughs> is trouble sarah also finds bloody fingerprints on the wall scary already and then she's attacked by a dang swarm of bats yeah the bats the bat jump scare that's not the one that got me fortunately <laughs> but yeah that's it's it's a classic it's a classic you gotta have it there's got to be some kind of animal fake out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now there's only one way out of the chamber and that's going down the pipe she says and so down they go nice and cramped this will get your claustrophobia going <laughs> Now, this fucked me up a little bit today watching it. I My skin was crawling. I'm not claustrophobic, but boy, my skin was crawling. Yeah, I am also not particularly claustrophobic, but seeing it be so cramped and seeing her panic attack when it happens the like, panic attack i was like i'm like i'm, I'm, I'm like i'm gonna break out in a rash on my chest like, i can't i couldn't handle it well and apparently a thing that i read today was that to audition each of the cast members they had them do the panic attack climbing through scene mm-hmm. and they had them climb under chairs <laughs> in the casting room and right. the the image of that really kind of takes some of the <laughs> the weight away of them do trying to do a panic attack <laughs> under like some like gnarly office chairs just coats whatever. like hanging over <laughs> right right give me your hand they're like fluorescent lights in chairs behind a desk being like mm-hmm, taking notes as you freak out <laughs> i just love it i love that so much uh, but the panic attack felt very real yeah and was very upsetting to me definitely uh, that is a little further down the road actually i jumped ahead to, to just oh, to talk about that but my bad. no 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 i jumped ahead <laughs> <laughs> 
they all do finally enter this next chamber. They light it with a flare. We get another cool shot of them like scattered around the room while it's all lit and red and they're all just kind of poking around. I'm like, this is fun. I like that. You know, like you said, it is slow, but I like that they take the time to let them just be like exploring the cave. I think it's it it, it makes it feel real. Like the yeah. the it, it the the terror of exploring a cave. Mm-hmm. I think they take their time with it and let it settle in. Yeah. In a way that lends itself to the future scares that we get out of it. Exactly. I think that it really does. It, may, it The pacing of this feels like the caving is going to be the whole movie. Yes. And so when we have the sort of dynamic shift, you know, and that gets tacked on, it really feels like we're already neck deep in trouble <laughs> when the thing already happened. So. Right. They break for lunch, and Sarah's kind of zonked out, and Juno quietly and tearfully apologizes to her for not sticking around longer after the accident. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, because it seems like the tears are because she's sad about being a bad friend, but as we're able to surmise from the heat at the beginning at this point, that's the only clue that we have, really, plus the uh, once thing that you mentioned, which I didn't catch. So I only I was only working off the heat, and, she, and now we know what happens. So we know that she is sleeping with Paul. And it raises this interesting question of, like, is she sad here because she's also still mourning Mark? You know, this is also the one-year anniversary of the death of her boyfriend. And how much of that has played into the rest of the reckless behavior that we see from Juno, especially if she's not able to mourn publicly. As bad as things are for Sarah, at least she's able to express her grief. Juno has to keep it all bottled up. Yeah, well, she's got, like, that displaced grief. I mean, I, I didn't know you were such a Juno stan. <laughs> team team Juno over here. I, I, for one, feel for Sarah. But, you know, it's all takes welcome, I guess. But yeah. No, no, no. I, I know I hear what you're saying exactly. We're like, it's... And, and we don't know until the necklace mm-hmm. that what they had was more than just they were having sex. We're, like, we suspect, yeah. you know, from the, from the steamy look and the little comment there. But apparently, there's another thing I saw in the YouTube video I watched in the scene where she runs into the arms of her sister slash Beth, whoever that is, Mm -hmm. Juno is in the background and is like falling apart and just turns and walks away. And I missed that completely. Wow. So Juno. Yep. Look, here's, here's my thing. I'm going to, I had this initially scheduled for much later in the conversation, but I'm just going to bring it up now because it's coming up naturally. You can tell how naturally it's coming up because I'm making this big run up to talking about That's it. what it is. That's the, it's the most natural transition. I mean, you should work for the Friendsman with these natural transitions you have here. The segues, I mean. They're perfect. They're perfect. And that's why I'm going to start right now. I think that this movie, part of what makes it so interesting to me is that Juno is like a secret main character. She is like the cool badass one. She is the one who makes is like takes the active hand in the decision making a lot of the time. She is the one who is also having all these conflicted emotions and stuff. And it makes this movie very interesting because we are just kind of watching it unfold sort of from the side. You know, it feels like if we're watching Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, if Hamlet 
was fucking Guildenstern's husband, <laughs> and then they went caving. Yes, yes, I love that. But yes, I, I remember the first time I watched it not liking Juno's character and being very like, don't love Juno. And this one, I love, I loved she's her. Great. Like she's she, she's, she's awful, and I get that. But she's also like, there's, great character, there's, there's a there's a great character, and there's a lot to admire about her. And not to jump too far ahead, but there's a scene where she's with two of the other girls, and she's like, they're like, we got to get out. We found a way out. And Juno's like, fuck no, I'm not leaving without Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also almost dies trying to keep the monsters off of the corpse of the, with my notes here, Holly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so she's, she really does protect her friends and there's, there's something really admirable about her, uh, that I, I, I didn't, I was just so latched on to what a shitty friend she was in terms of what she did, but she's really strong and powerful in this movie and is absolutely sort of stealing the spotlight from Sarah at times. Yeah. Or intentionally. Yeah, she's really cool. Really interesting character. Really interesting dynamic. I think that because we sort of see the festering of this grudge, that that's why we like are focused. We're seeing the story through Sarah's eyes, but it still really all hinges on Juno. Every mm-hmm. decision that she makes, every reaction that she has is filtered through Juno. So uh, just a really kind of an interesting dynamic for a movie. Now, Sarah doesn't really want to talk about how she's feeling about the death of Paul. So she wanders off and she finds the next passage forward and it's really, really tiny. And this is where Becca is starting to get weirded out. She's like, this doesn't look like what they described in the book. Juno plays it off. She says, that's why I don't like books. They're too open to interpretation. <laughs> just just a nonsense statement. <laughs> It's like, what, what does that I was mean? so confused because I did not remember that they were in the wrong cave. And I'm like, I, I rewound it to watch it again and was like, <laughs> was there some hidden meaning there? I don't know what that means. Well, Holly crawls through first and the rest follows suit. But this is where Sarah gets stuck and she has this panic attack. Beth is the one who goes back for her and helps her steady. But the tunnel starts to collapse and they barely make it out. They're forced to leave the rope back behind. And yeah, you know, no wonder why this was one of the audition scenes. Yeah, it's just awful to watch in the best possible way. Yeah. And again, Sarah retreats to her happy place of her daughter's birthday. But this time it's just for seconds before she's being slapped awake by her friends. They made it. And there should be two other ways in and out of this cave system. Right, Juno? Right, Juno? And the and they're coming for us. They like they're gonna find us because you called the flight flight plan in, right? You yeah. I, I don't I don't I can't remember what it is, but you they alerted the authorities they were gonna be here. So if they aren't they don't return by this time, they will come looking for them. And I'm sure they did and spent a long right, time Juno. searching searching that other cave. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, right, Juno, right, Juno, we got this. It's gonna be fine. Juno tries to squirm. And she says, Holly is right that that's a tourist trap. We've always said if there's no risk, there's no point. This is brand new, and I wanted us all to discover it. But the long and the short of it is that they're not in Borum Caverns at all, and any search and rescue efforts based on their flight plan are bunk. So there's no real choice but to move forward, although something seems fishy as the flashlight pans over the caves with something there in one moment and gone the next. We don't get a good look at it, though. Just a nice little hint of the crawlers in there. It's probably just more bats. Not to worry. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. Not to worry. Just bats. <laughs> more bat jump scares. Yeah, they, they went for it twice. <laughs> just like with the, just with like, the spear. Like with the, with the pipes, man. <laughs> Going for two on every, on every one. And push on they do, finding a gap across what is effectively a pit of death. <laughs> it really is. It's very scary. 
and they need someone to get across and set up a pulley system to get the rest of them across, but they need the other rope bag for her to do it safely and set it up, which is in the collapsed tunnel. But don't worry, they have carabiners. Mm, that'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> Becca, look, as great as Juno is and as strong and cool and impressive, Becca, you know, she's not so shabby herself. She makes a Herculean effort here. Hanging one-handed from the ceiling. Kills it in this... This scene is so painfully slow. Mm -hmm. And you feel the effort of what she's doing. And you believe it. I believe that she was at the limit of what she could physically do trying to do this. And it felt... My arms hurt watching it. Yeah. But she does it like a fucking boss. Yes. And she makes a rope system for the rest of the gang and sends it back. Juno is the last one to go, and she has to climb like Becca did to collect the supplies behind them, and she kisses the necklace for luck, not for the first time. That luck doesn't hold, though. (laughs) And uh, Juno drops with the rope a little bit, slicing Becca's hand and her hitting the wall real hard. And she does make it up the rest of the way, but Rebecca is in rough shape, which is, this is a big fear of mine, is getting this, like, rope burn slice in the hand kind of thing. Why is it so horrible? It is, it is, it was just, that was, like, one of the few scenes where I did, like, look away when it was just, like, gushing blood out of her hand. I I just, for some reason, it was just nauseating to me. It was crazy. Yeah. They also discussed that one of the things in the ceiling was already there and was at least 100 years old. Plus, if someone had already been down here and made it out, why wouldn't the system already be named? They also find cave paintings that indicate there might be a second way out. Just in time for us as an audience to see something growl and drool from the shadows, you know? Like I said, a really interesting way to keep tension while still giving us progress. As one of these problems is starting to get a little bit of hope, this is when the other one starts to develop. Quite naturally, it feels like. They find a bunch of paths forward, and Juno uses Holly's lighter to test for wind. But Holly rushes forward again when they find the one. Oh, Holly. She, yeah, it's classic Holly. Thinks she sees daylight. It's actually just phosphorus in the rocks. But she continues to run forward right before slipping into what can only be described as a cave butthole. It can only be described that way. She goes right in the cave butthole. It, <laughs> Jesus Christ. It... Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's the only predictable death in the whole movie is that mm-hmm. Holly's going to rush in and be reckless and die. Yeah. I, think you, I think looking at these girls at the beginning of the movie, you can kind of tell that that's how she's going to go and that she's going to go first. And it gets less predictable from there. But this is this was this was always how Holly was going to go right in the cave butthole. Yeah, well, it's funny to me, too, that they like really kind of drag it out because ultimately this fall is what kills her. But you know, she has to linger a little bit. You know, she drops, she survives, she gets a compound fracture in her leg, like you alluded to earlier. Seems like a really bad thing to have in a tight cave, especially one that is damp and full of bacteria. I did look it up. Really bad idea for her to push that bone back in. You know, <laughs> she's. It's, it's a re- there's a reason she's a med student and not a doctor, yeah, George, okay? Exactly. She's doing her exactly. best. Nobody else was stepping up. She was... Listening. Not in the ICU, clearly. Right. Hasn't done that rotation. You, you <laughs> think a first aid kit would be packed in the spelunking <laughs> i mean like i we have one packed when i go canoeing but you know spelunking who needs it i don't yeah, know well who you know at, at some point it feels like a first aid kit could only do so much anyway well that's true but it was probably in the rope bag now that i think about it mm, also that who know who even knows but they they set it with one of the picks and they also set like while they're setting it sarah explores a little bit she finds a miner's helmet 
and then more importantly, straight up sees one of our little goblinoid friends who finally notices her and in what is maybe the funniest moment of the entire movie for me, does a incredibly graceful backwards leap. It does do kind of a cool backflip. <laughs> like, does it, it's beautiful. He, he does this incredible motion, and she tells Juno, who dismisses it. You know, this is where sort of that friend dynamic comes into play again, where it's like, oh, she refuses to believe that she could have seen something here, so even if she is putting on the pretense of being a good friend, she's also not hearing her. It's, it's just a really interesting relationship and uh, develop. Gaslighting. You know, it's, some gaslighting. It's, yeah, complicated. Mm-hmm. It's not just one dimension here. She describes it as a man, though, which, I mean, that feels that part, generous. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what is wrong with her. Maybe she didn't bring her glasses. I don't know what's going on, but she's like, she really feels like this guy can help her yes. and help them. <laughs> and I just feel like she got a good long look at what is clearly a goblin. <laughs> fucking cave goblin and she's like that goblin could help us out guys trust like (laughs) i I found salvation like she's not worried she's like she's excited that they have company down here of this nice white naked gentleman with the weird eyes would not have been my first words to describe him but (laughs) they all kind of go well we can't go looking for that guy even if he exists because we need to just focus on getting holly out of here and they use the lighter again to navigate now the problem is that they emerge with this lighter into a bone pit littered with hundreds of animal remnants this night vision shot from holly's camera that they used to see is actually a miniature which i thought was cool And there's no more wind, so they don't know which tunnel to follow. And as this panic dawns on them, it's compounded with their first encounter with the Goblin Man, drawn to Cyrus' screams, and seen looming behind Beth in what is a very, very famous shot in this movie. Very fun, very silly looking. Uh, I love it. It's a really fun moment. It's a great moment. It's, I mean, it's iconic for a reason. It's fantastic. It scared the bejesus out of me the first time I saw it. <laughs> this time, I really knew it was coming. It did not scare me, but it was exciting to see again anyway. Definitely. And this is their actual first glimpse of the Goblin in real life, too. They kept the performer separate from the rest of the cast until that moment, turning off the lights to bring him in and everything. And it works because the panic feels real as it scampers up the ceiling. <laughs> it really does. And I don't know, the, the, the pacing is exhausting because it is so slow and then it is just boom and it hits Frantic. you and so much happens so quickly. It's it's like you I get like whiplash watching it. It was great. Yeah. Holly, already in agony from her leg, gets her throat chomped as well and is bleeding out still alive. (laughs) Okay, there is some lingerers. These women are very strong and very tough, which is marked by the fact that they do not know when the fuck to die. The the things that happen to them that they live through for these moments is there. It's absolutely preposterous. But yes, mm-hmm. we we have Holly and her eye with her throat ripped out, laying on the ground. Her eye dilates. Yeah. When Juno not jumps on dead. her and puts, the, and puts the the flashlight on, and I'm like, she that that bitch is still alive. Oh my god. <laughs> Juno does try and drag her away, and I really love sort of that feralness of the goblin. He comes out and he like smacks into Juno and tries to pull Holly the other way to like try and protect its food, you know? Mm -hmm. Feels very much like an animal movement that he does here. Very animal. And also I think a great scene for Juno, who she's led them all into, she deceived them all into going into a dangerous cave system, including her 
traumatized grieving friend on the anniversary of her trauma is like, you know, what would be fun is if I trick her into going into a very dangerous <laughs> cave system. I'll right. name it after you, question mark? Maybe. <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrible, terrible friend by all accounts. But she, this is really her first like good friend moment where like Holly is, Holly's like, she her throat is ripped out. Yeah. She's not making, right, like, even if she's still alive, like, give her, like, a couple minutes to bleed out. And she is putting her life on the line to protect the corpse, Mm. or soon-to-be corpse of Holly. And I thought that was both a stupid and very brave move on her part. Yeah, it's really interesting, too, because we see that she, spoiler alert, jump forward 30 seconds if you don't want to hear what we're going to talk about later in the movie anyway. She doesn't do this for Beth. And so it becomes like a question of Holly came to the group through Juno. Mm -hmm. You know, it does she feel like this is more her actual friend than Beth is, who we've seen sniping at her. Maybe she feels like Beth has chosen sides in the dynamic here between her and Sarah. The way that she has these relationships that fluctuate and she doesn't just react the exact same way to every single person really makes her a, a, a interesting character to have in the group. Yeah, I mean it's she's so hard to wrap my head around because I do I did find myself really liking her at times in this in this movie, but there was the thing with Beth, a part of me wonders if it's the thing where we we've established that Beth knew about the affair. Right. And Beth being dead I mean, I imagine if I'm Juno, I'm worried. I'm worried that at any minute Beth's going to have a crisis of conscience. Mm. Tell my girl, Sarah, all about me sleeping with her husband. And then she's alienated from her friend group, her people, what have you. And so Beth being dead, being out of the way is kind of like, a well, I didn't mean that. My bad. Whoops. But also convenient for me. So Mm going to let it happen. Certainly so. Really, you know, the writing in this movie is very, very good. Everyone is running in the corridors while Juno fights this thing. Terrible idea. Immediately, we see people slipping and eating shit, which really made me laugh. <laughs> I mean, like, that's that's the reality of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a fucking cave. It's not, yeah. this is not ideal terrain for <laughs> hand-to-hand combat with a goblin. <laughs> Juno does get the kill. Very badass fight scene with this pick. But she hears something approaching her from behind, and she swings out with the pick once more, catching Beth in the throat absolutely brutal you know you get this peak of triumph to the pit of despair really wonderful and beth pulls off juno's necklace as she drops and begs juno not to leave her but juno runs away just like she did after paul's funeral that's right that's right perhaps not as good a friend to beth as she was to holly indeed as we spoke about earlier yeah and yeah just just kind of brutal it just makes juno confusing but interesting Mm mm-hmm Becca and Sam are in a tunnel, and Sam's batteries are dead. Directly above them is a crawler acting like damn Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible up there. And Sarah was one of the people who slipped, and she smacked her head on some rocks. So she's having a vision of her daughter that turns around and is actually a goblin man. Oh my god. Daughter to goblin transition. Just stunning. Beautiful. (laughs) No one saw it coming. We all loved it. She awakes and she looks through a viewfinder and sees not only a ton of human skeletons, but also some large predatory animal corpse as well, still fangly and showing that this is something to be worried about if they were able to take down this thing. Holly gets thrown down in the pit and the whole damn goblin fam comes out to chow. They're blind though, so as long as she keeps quiet and still, she'll be okay. Easier said than done though, as she watches them eat and almost pukes. (laughs) 
drawing the attention of the closest one. This little puke, uh, or almost puke, is very funny to me. It is. It is. I mean, I think that is probably really how you would react. I mean, I would be, I, I would have vomited as soon as I realized we were in the wrong case. <laughs> I, I would have been, I, I'm someone who, like, if I realized that, like, I'm going to be late to work, will, like, feel nauseous and feel like I need to vomit. So I would have wow. been just, it, I just would have puked my way Done. through the caves. I would have picked <laughs> off first, immediately. <laughs> By the crawlers, I there I, I would have just been vomiting left and right all through this cave. So I, I, I really feel for her in that moment where I'm like, yeah, I mean, me too, honey. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not it's not a convenient reaction, but it does feel real, I guess. Yeah, definitely so. Noon kept the Hollyhead prosthetic, pulled a classic Friday the 13th part two, and she said she put it in her fridge at home for her mother to find. Oh, <laughs> So the actress playing Holly really has a lot of Holly in her. Yeah. That's a real Holly move. <laughs> she said it went over well. Big I, finger quotes. <laughs> I'm I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, my God. Now, Sarah gets saved by Juno calling her name, and she becomes the new focus. As she finds an arrow pointing the way that she just came from, in theory, pointing, like, that's indicating that the way she's going is the way out. If that's an arrow leading in at like for miners or whatever that they saw earlier. Mm -hmm. Now, Becca and Sam hunker down to let the crawler crawl past them. Although it looks like they're in trouble not once, but twice after Sam's watch starts beeping. But once again, Juno's calling out is overpoweringly alluring for these goblins. (laughs) Goblins. Juno catches on in the light and advances with her pick determinedly. Very again, Juno. So fucking cool. So cool. She she's so cool. The whole like I, I don't she's know. She's cool. And uh, Sarah improvises a torch and she leaves the pit while Becca and Sam get moving again too. One drops down and separates them though until Juno emerges and saves Becca again. Very badass and and just she's just the main character. She's secretly the main character of this movie. She, oh, she's got big like Ripley energy. Like she's yeah. she's just she just doesn't give a fuck and she's gonna take them all down one by one. She's got a she's got a bone to pick with them. She's taken them out to protect her friends, but also because fuck them. Yeah, exactly. Juno says she's not leaving without Sarah, but Sarah is currently discovering Beth, who warns her to stay away from Juno and gives her the necklace, saying it was a gift from Paul, which makes her very sad and also separately confirms that Juno left Beth here to die alone. Just an, an ex- the most untimely reveal of your life. I mean, I realize, like, I, I just feel like what Beth says is find your own way out. Don't trust Juno. Look, she was sleeping with your husband. And I feel like the idea that a friend sleeping with your husband means that she's not a capable spelunker that will get you <laughs> out alive. I mean, she did kill her. But it was by mm. accident, but she did leave her, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't it's know. Complicated. She, she did she did leave her. So I guess that's really more where the don't trust her part comes in. Is it's yeah. like she's gonna Don't leave trust me. her to have your back, I guess. Right. I guess that was I guess that was more about the it was more about the leaving her for dead in the cave than about the husband the, the sleeping with the, you can just go ahead and cut that out, I guess. That's not a really <laughs> not a very astute observation on my part. But uh <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean I think it's just one of those things where it feels a little silly almost that she's telling her this at this moment, but it's her last chance to tell her, I guess. And yeah. so she wants her to know. Get it off her chest. Right. But it's very inopportune timing. Yeah. <laughs> and she also asks Sarah to please kill her. And Sarah extremely reluctantly complies with a rock. Oh, just just awful. Just awful to watch this happen. Brutal. <laughs> she's also promptly attacked 
by a crawler who she dispatches in a furious righteousness. And the lady goblin finds this body and reacts sadly. Uh, who knows what kind of civilization they got down there. But yes, they introduced the lady society. goblin. Yeah. <laughs> and she hisses at Sarah, who flees and immediately plummets into a blood pool. The blood pool... So unnecessary, so ridiculous, so amazing. Counterpoint, very necessary. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it is great. I'm so glad it's here. Why is it here in terms of what these goblins are doing with the blood pool? Why is the blood all in the one? I don't know. I, I don't even care. It's that good. <laughs> They've just all seen Apocalypse Now, and they all want to do the Colonel Kurtz thing. Yes, they were like, what if Apocalypse Now, but also Carrie, and yes. just, and it's it's all it's all a whole, it's all a menstrual metaphor, apparently, mm, so. Right. <laughs> and she's attacked by the crawler again, barely holding her off until she can grab an antler and stab it in the eye. And like you said, she looks extremely Carrie-esque here, reaching for the torch, but she has to freeze when another emerges and stands directly on her, dripping bile. Just... Uh, gratuitous in the, the best way. The bile was so... Gr- it was... I mean, it felt like... It, it didn't even feel like bile. It felt like gobs of snot. Like, mm. it was like... It was like globs of stuff was hitting her face, and it was yeah. repulsive. <laughs> it was one of my least favorite parts. I mean... That's goblins, baby. Obviously, great. Great. Love it. Glad that it happened. But in terms of looking at it, it was... Yeah. It, it, my eyes went to hell. Classic goblin move. It steps off, it gives her time to grab a bone and bludgeon it, and she stands there looking very cool and screaming, ah! Yes, bad tactically, but very cool for the moment. Yes. I also thought it was really interesting that there's a cool cut here where her screaming, when it cuts to the, the next group of, of Sam and, and Becca, they are hearing the screaming of the goblins. So there's a cool, like, match cut there that uh, I, I like a lot. Oh, I thought they were hearing her scream. Well, it's Goblins. it sounds more like theirs, it. too. I think that that's why they say, like, oh, she's fucked. Let's get out of here. They, they heard the scream, they, it, and then she started laughing. It turns out she was just whitewater rafting. Exactly. It was a, it was a misdirect once again. Wow. They Look, they're hitting everything twice. Mm-hmm. Every single thing it you, happens. You love a callback. Yes, exactly. And Sam says, like, fuck Sarah, Juno, let's go. They're swarmed by crawlers. Really cool shot that rotates. It was just a really fun. That was a great scene. But she doesn't have enough rope. And also, there's a damn crawler waiting for her there (laughs) up top. I have such love for Sam. And, like, she's clearly representing, like, innocence, right? And and, uh, Sarah feels very protective of her. And she's this med student with her whole life ahead of her. Ah, you just want her to make it out. And it... Not gonna happen. (laughs) She doesn't, spoiler alert, she does not. No, she doesn't. It rips her throat out, but she does manage to grab it and take it with her with a knife. That's fun. Or does she? Uh, Wow, very good point. Or does she? Unfortunately, Becca is grabbed from behind and disemboweled, so Juno takes the blind leap into the water, and uh, turns out, no, she didn't. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Look, it's great. It's wonderful. She falls down there. There's so much lingering. There's so much lingering. No, nothing and no one can die in this movie. Right. Really fun shot with this underwater kill as she has to fight this guy once more. And then also the vertical shot as she climbs across, I thought was uh, a really nice one as well. And she's about to fall in when who should emerge to grab her and pull her into a little opening. But Sarah, wow. Here to save her. Thank God. Thank God. And Juno lies to Sarah about seeing Beth die. And she just grimly says... 
come on. It was a lie by omission. She's like, you saw her die. And she was like, yes. <laughs> no, she, it's just a lie. She didn't see her die. Oh, yeah. She, yeah, she, she, I thought I was thinking she left her for dead at that point because she thought yeah. she was dead. But no, she, she's, she straight up was asking for help and Juno rolled out. Yeah. She's like, no, I'm, I'm done. Goodbye. Yep. You're right, that is but, straight up a lie. Yeah, but they're all action-posed up here because they're approached by a trio of crawlers, but they don't like the fire. This only works for so long, though, and both Sarah and Juno are drawn into the fight with Sarah literally ripping the throat out with her own teeth. She's gouging eyes. Juno bashes one's head against a rock until it collapses. This is, like, a wild scene. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. It's They're just brawling with goblins and kicking their asses. They are outnumbered. They are outmatched because goblins, man, and, like, and they just, they, they wreck shop. It's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. And once they're all dead, Sarah reveals that she has Juno's necklace silently, and she jams the pick in her leg so that she is, shall we say, unlikely to survive, especially as we see several approaching goblins. But she serves as a good distraction as Sarah tries desperately to escape, finding a literal light at the end of the tunnel, climbing up a huge mound of bones in a literal and figurative sense to get that sweet, sweet freedom. Now, her hand bursts out and she emerges like it's the evil dead, pulling herself into that delicious mountain air, running the fuck to the car, peeling out she gets the hell out of dodge and when she's sufficiently far away she pulls over and weeps these big racking sobs but she's pulled out of it by a honking big rig and she pukes out the window in shock and when she sits back up a fucked up juno ghost is there Ah! ghost of juno really fun little juno ghost there i like that a lot it's a fun little like guilt thing and this is the ending in the U.S. version. This is where the movie closes. Now, she gets out, and Neil was fine with this change, and he said, quote, To my mind, her escaping at the end is even more bleak than the original ending. After what's happened to her, and what could happen to her, surviving an incident where all her friends are killed, there could be blame laid upon her. She could end up in prison. Psychologically, she's screwed. All her family and friends are gone in the most horrendous fashion, some killed by her hand. It reminded me of the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She survives, but she's clearly out of her mind with fear and madness. So I don't see it as being a happy ending at all, having her get out of the cave. And I, I want to get your thoughts on this, both his reaction to that change and the, the U.S. opening. But just to wrap it up real quick, I'll also discuss the, the last scene where Sarah wakes up and she finds herself back in the cave but sees the happy birthday scene playing out in front of her. She's now fully deluded and descended into madness and staring at nothing as the sounds of the crawlers come closer from all around her. And that's the, the UK ending. Really great stuff as it fades to black and white crime photo once more. Oh, man. So many thoughts. Uh, I did not know his reaction to that. I did not know what the reasoning was for the different endings. I had only seen the US ending. And it fell a little flat for me. And I did not know about the alternate ending until JP actually told me today. And I watched the alternate ending and was like, that's how it should have ended. It's so much better. His comments on it, I mean, it's his work. I respect his opinion on it, obviously. But I feel like it wasn't, it wasn't bleak enough. Like, that wasn't my complaint is it was like, oh, it was too hopeful. Mm. Um, like my issue was it didn't feel like it, it wrapped it up. It didn't come full circle for me. And... Mm. The whole movie is about her descent into madness, her yeah. giving into psychosis. And at the end of the UK version, she had chosen dissociation 
as mm-hmm. her coping strategy with everything that's happened to her and with what is an unbearable pain that she's carrying. She's just fully dissociated from reality. And that is her way of escaping is by dissociating because there is no real escape. She can't escape. Yeah. She can only dissociate. And yeah. I think that that is so much more powerful and interesting of an ending than her having a literal escape. Right. And it's, it is in a way more of a happy ending because she'll be maybe reunited with her daughter in, in heaven. And she's only got to live with this for another few seconds. And just to, just to make sure that I am clear about this for everyone out in the audience, he did prefer the UK ending, but the test audiences were like, wow, that's really sad that she just dies there in that cave. And so he was like, all right, what about this ending? And everyone was like, great, that's way better, way happier. And he was like, I don't agree, but okay. It's a horror <laughs> movie. And they're like, I don't know who these test audiences were. They found the dumbest idiots they could and put them in a Always. room. Because this Always. Is, this is, it's a horror movie. If you're looking for a happy ending, find a a different genre. Yeah, well, he specifically, uh, in this same interview where he was talking about how he felt about the change, he said that he feels like in order for a a horror movie to truly be great, you can't have a happy ending. Because that light of hope makes it not as horrific. And so to close on that, uh, he feels like is kind of uh, refusing to commit which I think they really commit in the UK ending. And it really, like you said, serves the movie very well. Yeah, it's it's just so much better. It's just so Mm -hmm. much better. I mean, he probably can't come out and say, I hate the American ending. (laughs) Like, that would probably be, I don't know if that would be kosher for him to do. But yeah, I just feel like I, I wish I had watched the UK ending the first time through because it made a movie that I already think is great, already in my top 10 favorite horror movies of all time, even better. Well, what another perfect segue. Here we go. One done by yourself. We have now reached the point of the episode, Claire, where we sum up why this is not just a good horror movie, but is in fact the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. Oh man, this is so okay. All right. I think that for its time, especially, and no, it's not that old, but it was, you know, it was 2005, I believe. Can almost vote. Yes. Yes. And, okay, that that, that messes me up now. I feel old. (laughs) For its time, I feel like it subverted a lot of expectations of the genre. I feel like it was part of a suite of movies that came out in that era that kind of reinvigorated horror as a prominent genre, as a critically acclaimed genre. I feel like it did so many things well. I feel like the women were represented so well in it. It has everything you could want. It is fucking scary. And it is it is not just that it has scary monsters. It the the cave is scary. The claustrophobia is scary. It will viscerally make your skin crawl, which is a hard thing to do. And at the same time, you are so invested in every single one of these characters that when each one of them dies, it really is emotional. I feel like it makes you run the gamut of emotions that is the exact gamut that horror movies are meant to do. Mm. You feel invested, you feel scared, you feel uncomfortable, you feel sad, you feel hopeless. Like all of those things are just captured so well in this movie and it just does everything perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. To me, this is the best horror movie for uh, a couple reasons. I have three tiers of this movie being best horror movie ever made. First of all, it just looks fucking great. Lots of fun lighting. The sets are rad. The blood pit, the carry look while she's brawling. Just fantastic. A lot of fun action. Cool looking monsters. It just looks great. Second tier is uh, it's just a really cool story. 
you know, it's like a reverse Orpheus where a dude went into hell to try and lead out the ghost of his wife. And here we have a lady trying to escape the ghost of her husband. So she flees into hell. It's a really cool kind of inversion of a classic story. But also, and most importantly, consider this as why it's the best horror movie ever made. It checks all three of the conflict boxes. You have man versus other, where you're dealing with the physical brutality of the crawlers hunting them. You have man versus self, exploring the darkness of the human psyche with Juno and Sarah. And you have man versus nature, fighting the unfeeling cruelty of nature with the simplicity of just being trapped in the cave. It gets you on every single level that humans can experience conflict. And for a movie to not only pull that off, but to not feel overstuffed and to work incredibly well while also uh, incorporating all three of those, that just makes it the best horror movie ever made. I agree. I agree. I love it. I love it. You I mean, you were so much more organized and succinct in your explanation, but I, I am I am. I, I didn't even think about that being the, the the three tiers of conflict all being covered there. And it is, it, it, it does it so well. It really does. Claire, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. What a delight this was. Please tell people if you have anything that you want to direct them towards. If not, just something that you're enjoying lately you can recommend oh geez uh i you know i i should come with my plugs ready uh i'm gonna plug friendsman definitely that is uh my fiance jp does a podcast about the show friends if you don't like friends that's fine i don't either it is like one of my favorite podcasts and not just because it has to be if i didn't like it i would be honest about it i was really <laughs> worried i wouldn't when john said he was gonna make a friends podcast it's quite good it's very good and i would also like to plug his other podcast with a couple fellas, Sky Riggs, and the other guy whose name I can never remember. But they, they talk about the show Psych, which I do love. There you go. Yeah, a lot of fun. I, I love both of those shows. Uh, we Heard About Pluto is, of course, a wonderful show that I am one of. Oh, I, I didn't so. get the title in. That's my bad. That's uh, my no, bad. Hey, look, you set me up here to dunk at home. I think We Heard About Pluto is a lot of fun. And I, I love recording every week with Riggs It's and great. JP. It really is. But Friendsman is also really fun. I have been on that show as well. I am apparently one of the very few guests who does like Friends that has been on the show. I did love so. your episode. I love that you had the box. You have the the random box set oh, that you yeah. got as your main gift. That I, It cracked oh, up with that story. I loved it. It was uh, what a surprise. But they were right. Who knew? Parents, turns out they know you better than you know yourself. So <laughs> <laughs> Number one Friends fan, George. <laughs> Uh, as far as my other plugs, you can find me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. That username extends pretty much everywhere, including the Patreon. If you are really enjoying the show, for just a couple bucks a month, you can get all kinds of bonus episodes, which are a lot of fun. We cover stuff that might not fit as uh, perfectly in the main feed. We've talked about video games like Doki Doki Literature Club and Resident Evil 2. Next month, we're actually talking about the video game Control with Patrick Cotnoir is coming back. We've also talked about other movies like Freaky Friday 2003, the best horror movie ever made. Uh, (laughs) I have to to catch that one. I have to know. I have to know more. It's a lot of fun. So you can get all kinds of great stuff over there. And the two things I always forget to plug these days are uh, reviews really do help if you are enjoying the show. Leave us a review on whatever method you're listening to the show. I would really appreciate it. But then also, there's a mailbag that sometimes I will do mailbag episodes. And if you want to send in an email uh, with a question or a comment or a hypothetical scenario even, feel free to send it in to bestlittlemailbag at gmail.com. Way more plugs than usual because I always forget to do that stuff. 
So check that out and tune in next week. Okay, bye.